Okay. Well, why don't you stand for the reading of God's Word? If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you don't have a Bible, keep this Bible as your Christmas gift from us. A gift. Everyone should have a Bible. Everyone should have a Bible, and and you should all write in your Bible, in my opinion. It's not a law, but... um, your Bible, you should wear it out every couple of years or two or three years or something like that because you're just writing in it so much. And um, God wants you to, to, to make this book that's in front of you, you're holding it as your friend. Okay, so we are in chapter 2 of Ephesians. We are going through Ephesians chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It begins like this. And you, speaking of... You all, if you have come to the place in your life where you have made Jesus your King, your Lord, and you, He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all, underline that word, all, once conducted ourselves in the lusts of of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Stay with me now. Three more verses. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Lord, what a wonderful picture of being brought from death to life from meaninglessness to meaning from craziness to sanity from bewilderness just to having our eyes open and getting things getting it Lord that's the life that you have prepared for us teach us about it this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. 
So last week we talked about the gospel. The gospel. We hear that term a lot from the very beginning of the New Testament. If you uh, go to the book of Mark, for example, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark chapter 1. Verse 1. Very first seven or eight words of the book of Mark. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then just a few verses later, it says this. Now after John was put in prison, that's speaking of John the Baptist. John was the witness. He's the one who prepared the way for Jesus and said, this, this man Jesus is coming. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. What did Jesus do when He came? It says Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then the very last book of, the very last chapter in Mark. So we just read the first chapter. This is the last chapter. Jesus said to them, who his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So gospel, what is it? What does it mean? We talked about that last week. Literally, the term means good news. Gospel, good news. Buenas noticias, good news. In fact, some Bible translations don't even use the term gospel. And I kind of like that because the term is so churchy now, people don't even know what it means they just use the word term good news, like New Living Translation uh, says this uh, in the verse that we just read from Mark. It says, and then he told them, Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. So what is the good news? What is the gospel? Well, we started that out last week. The good news, the gospel is laid out for us perfectly in the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. If you weren't there, you may want to get the CD or listen online. But as we discussed last week about the good news, the good news starts with bad news. It starts with bad news. Let's read verses 1 through 3. It says, And you he made alive. Now those words, he made alive are in italics in many of your Bibles. That's because they're not there in the original language. It's really more properly reads, and you were dead in trespasses and sin. A trespass is something that you do unintentionally that is wrong. I don't know if you know about the law of trespass, but if you wander into the woods onto someone's property and you don't realize that someone's private property, you can still be arrested for trespassing. And it's the same, same thing with God. He's holy. And we need something done about not only the things that we know are sin, but the things that we don't even know are sin. Why? Because God's holy. Heaven's a perfect place. He requires perfection. He requires holiness. Jesus said, be perfect, even as your Father's uh, in heaven is perfect. It says, 
you were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the other. So uh, last week uh, we put this this chart up on the board here. So the good news starts with bad news, and the bad news is this. Every man and woman since Adam and Eve began their life on planet Earth, verse 1 of chapter 2, dead in their trespasses and sins. Uh, Your sin literally killed you, the Bible says. This is the Bible. This is not Steve. It killed your relationship with God. Uh, sins, uh, sin, and by sin I mean anything that violates God's word. It, 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 it doesn't just cause man's relationship with God to, to suffer. It kills it, the Bible says. The Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And then it says um, every, every man and woman since Adam and Eve walked according to the course of the world. They came out of the womb, their mother's womb, and as soon as, they, as soon as they can crawl or whatever, they're walking, and even before that, it says they're crawling, uh, sliding, crying, according to the course uh, of the world. So being spiritually dead, a man or woman, ever since Adam and Eve, is just easy prey to the world, its fashions, its philosophies, its fantasies, its fallacies, its lies. Uh, the, the just easy prey just to be drawn in by the world. Uh, and it says, goes on, it says, you walk according to the prince of the power of the air. Every man and woman since um, Adam and Eve, that the world literally has a Spirit. There's a spirit there. And the Bible says, supremely, you are a spiritual being. There are natural explanations, uh, biological and chemical, for example, as to how our eyes are able to see, how our ears hear, how our fingers touch. But there's no natural explanation for consciousness. It's almost comical looking at atheistic materialists trying to come up with an explanation for consciousness. It, it, it's, it's the stuff of the comic books, I, I, I tell you, when they start trying to uh, write about this stuff. There is no natural explanation um, to uh, the breath of life in man, to explain the mystery of how man relates to each other, to explain the vast array of his passions and his feelings. That's all in the realm of the spiritual world. And the Bible speaks of spiritual light in the spiritual world, which has its origin in God. But it also speaks of spiritual darkness, which has its origin in the demonic realm. Angels, who the Bible says, were not content with their original estate and, and, and for, that God had for them, but they rebelled and they were cast out of heaven. 1 John chapter 5 says that the world is under the sway, the influence of the evil men. So every man and woman, since Adam and Eve... Uh, is, is, is walking according to this, this, the prince of the power of the air. 
is speaking of, of Satan actually there, or, or the demonic realm. But then every man and woman since Adam and Eve uh, is, is, begins as a son or a daughter of disobedience, meaning when rubber meets the road, if you're faced with a decision of whether to obey the voice of obedience or obey the voice of disobedience, when there's a conflict between these two, you go for disobedience. You're a daughter of disobedience. That's what the Bible says. It also says you conduct yourself according to the lust of the flesh. Your flesh, your appetites, uh, sexual appetites, your, um, your, your appetite, your other physical appetites, like eating, um, and um, sort of the appetite for, for, for power and being made known. All those appetites, they're saying, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And, and, and it says that uh, we conduct ourselves according to the lust of the flesh by going, take me, take me, take me, take me. We literally, literally allowed the flesh to take us. And then it says, ever since Adam and Eve, um, it says, as a result of that, of all of this, you are a child of God's wrath, meaning you are on your way to hell. That's what the Bible says. An eternity in judgment. Now, I have to say, it's interesting to me, the Bible, in addition to everything else, happens to be an incredibly interesting book. It's interesting to me is that, you know, this stuff is heavy and intense. As, as heavy and intense as these are, honestly, with many or most people, it doesn't take a whole lot of convincing to... Uh, to convince them that these three verses really are true as it applies to the world around them. I mean, when you just look at news flashes from the last few weeks alone, men and women walking into public squares with explosives and semi-automatic weapons and murdering people, levels of sexual violence and depravity portrayed in the entertainment industry, which is at an all-time high, as is the access to it, in income inequality in our country at an all-time high with people just out to, just willing to trample one another on their way to the top 1%. It's just, it's just so obvious out there. It doesn't take a lot of convincing to, to, that the problem with evil, there's a problem with evil in the world, and yeah, this pretty much fits. But try to convince us that we're part of the problem. That the problem is not really with the world. The, the real problem's with me. What, what me? <laughs> no, 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 no. Me? Me that? Me? Yeah, you. The Holy Spirit says. But being dead, verse 1, in our sin, we don't get that. We don't get that at all. That's crazy. Why? Because I'm dead. The heart of the problem, what, what, what's, what's up with the dead person? Well, they're blind so they don't see. They're deaf so they can't hear. They're paralyzed because there's no sense of feeling or touch spiritually. So surely none of that applies to me. And that's where verse 4 comes in. Verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. 
but God. But God. But God. I mentioned this last week. We talk from time to time about testimonies. We give testimonies here on Sunday nights, uh, every other month during communion. Sometimes on Sunday morning, we give testimonies. We get in small groups, we give testimonies. So I don't know if I have a testimony. Well, if you're a Christian, you, you do, and it's two-word testimony. Every Christian has a two-word testimony, but God. So if you don't know your testimony, you, you know, next time someone comes up to you and says, what's your testimony? Just say, but God, and just walk away. You know, but God, you can walk away at that point because it's, it's true that that is the testimony of every Christian. But God, who is rich in mercy, meaning God loves to forgive you. God longs to forgive you. God would like nothing more in the world to forgive you. And the devil's lie from hell keeps you away from God um, be, with whatever that thing is which is covering you with guilt. He tries to keep you away from God, but, but, the, but, but here we see God is rich in mercy. Rich. He loves to forgive you. Whatever you, that record is that you have, that you compiled for yourself in 2015, He is longing to forgive you. He's rich in mercy. That's what uh, that rich in mercy means. Because of the great love, verse 4 says, with which he loved us. Now that term, great love. When you see that term, actually when you see the term love in the Bible, it would, you would do yourself well in understanding the Bible if every time you saw the word love, you just pictured the cross. And you just picture the cross. When you see love, picture the cross. When you see the term great love, really, really, really picture the cross, because that's what it's referring to. You know, I went into Google Images and saw all the, you know, pressed, you know, pictures of the cross, paintings of the cross. None of them do it justice. It's all like, eh, this, that really doesn't work. Don't hold this against me. I was actually looking for one to put up for you guys to look at. I'm like, I'm not going to subject those, my brothers and sisters to that because it's such a disservice. First of all, it's, they're all, most of them are, are painted by Europeans, so it's always this white dude with blonde, uh, with blonde hair and, and blue eyes. Uh, no, I don't think so. That's not what Jesus looked like. But also, there's never enough blood. Jesus was unrecognizable by the time he even, because of the violence inflicted on him, by the time he even got to the cross. All kinds of cheap talk about love and great love. Well, the cross is the picture of love and our sin, our trespass, which killed us, verse 1 says, killed him. He stepped into our place and was killed for us. We literally got a second lease on life. 
when Jesus stepped in and got killed for us. That's great love. Verse 4 again, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. He made us alive. So the great love started with the cross, but it was completed with the resurrection, if you're taking notes. The great love started with the cross. It was completed with the resurrection. I do find it interesting that if you look through all the sermons in the book of Acts, and that's where you really go to find good preaching. You don't go onto the web to, 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 to this preacher and that preacher to find the best preaching. It's good to go on the web and listen to online messages, but the best preaching is in the book of Acts. The resurrection is mentioned more than the cross. The, the great love starts with the crucifixion, that, that terrible, outrageous, really, picture of the cross, but it ends with the resurrection. Jesus was killed for us, but the greatness of God's love for us was completed with the resurrection. He raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And that says for 40 days. And we don't talk a lot about this. For 40 days before he was taken up to heaven, after he was resurrected, he taught his disciples. What did he teach them? Nice and loud. The gospel, the good news. For 40 days. And then it says, he was taken up into heaven. Again, verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. So he, he, was, he died for our sins, he was resurrected, and then he was taken up to heaven. Now... What he does, he's in the full-time CPR business. He, 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 now what he does, he, he goes around with dead people and, and he pumps up on their heart and he brings them to light. You know, I like this verse from Revelation 3.20. And we put it up here all the time because there's, it's, it's so just, there's, there's so many teachings that come out of it. This is Jesus speaking. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking. He's going like this. That's what he's doing. Like big time, that's what he's doing. Why is he doing that? To make us alive. He's not just whispering. He's crying out. And he's doing the CPR thing. Now what's the first thing that happens when someone's dead and a paramedic gets on them and, and starts pumping away on their chest, what's the first thing that happens after their heart starts going? Their eyes open up. Their eyes open up. And, all, and, and the first thing that happens when their eyes open up is that, man, the world's not the problem. I'm the problem. I'm the problem Jesus, save me. 
come into my life. Behold, I stand at the door, knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, Jesus, I'm the problem. Come in now. I will come in to him and dine with him. It's not dead religion. It's eating with Jesus. That's what Christianity is about. That's what Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is all about. It's dining with him. It's an actual relationship with him. It's not dead religion where there's a, a, crucify, a crucifix with a little man on it at the front of a huge cathedral. God's so far off. No, it's not that. It's about a, a, a cross that's empty. And Jesus is in heaven, he's, he's, and he's, he's come back, and he's doing CPR, and he's saying, all right, you're alive now. Let's eat together. And the end of the verse, and he with me. It goes on, verse 5. It says, at the end, it says, by grace you have been saved and raised up together and made to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, don't just run by that. What does that mean? (laughs) What does it mean, raised up together? This is saying that if you've done the Revelation 3.20 thing and opened up your heart and asked them in, that if you've done that, right now, right this second, Sunday morning, January 3rd, 2016, you've been raised up and you're seated, to, seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places. What's all that about? Now again, if you're taking notes, Verse 5 says Jesus did three things. He didn't just do the CPR on us and just get back in his ambulance and drive off. He didn't just do that. It says, number one, he made you alive. He did the CPR thing. But number two, again, it says that he raised you up. So, your eyes open, you ask him into your life, and then, and then he, he, he picks you up. See, now that's the difference between mercy and grace. Notice how at the end of verse 5 it says, by grace you have, have been saved. It's a famous few verses here. Mercy is the CPR thing. You deserve death. God's holy, and you deserve death. Mercy is raising you to life giving you life. Grace, however, is raising you up. And not only raising you up, raising you up and and, and to sit with him in the heavenlies. Now, remember in chapter one, I put this, this chart up here. Chapter one. In chapter one, is all about how God sees you. Forget about how you see yourself. Forget about how you feel. Chapter 1 
begins with Paul saying, this is how God sees you. Number one, he, you are in him. You may feel disconnected from him, but if you've asked Jesus into your heart, saying, I am the problem, save me, you're in him. You've been welded together. God's good for the Father is, is, is the ultimate welder. He welds you together with his son Jesus. Number two, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. That means that everything you need to live a life and walk with God, he's given you. Number three, it says you are chosen. This is in verse four of chapter one. You are holy and blameless. Now, how crazy is that? We spent a lot of time on that. When God sees you, he sees complete, utter, total blamelessness. Why? Because you've taken on the blamelessness of his son. You are adopted as sons and daughters. In other words, we talked about this. You may feel like an accident. You may feel like um, uh, you belong to no one. You may feel like you're sort of an orphan in this world. No. You are a son and daughter of the living God. Verse 6 of chapter 1. You are the praise of His glory. Meaning that because of what He has done with you. He's done CPR on you. He's, he's, he's raised you up and you've, He's seated you um, in heaven with Him. All of heaven looks at you and glorifies God because what He's done in your life. The next one, it says you're accepted in the beloved. Meaning that speaking the beloved is the church. However out of place you seem at church or others may make you feel at church there's only one person whose opinion matters ultimately it's God's and you're accepted in the beloved it says you're redeemed meaning you're freed verse 7 and it says you you know God's purposes and plans um, for your life verse 9 and finally um, you are sealed this is how God sees you regardless of how you may feel about yourself or think about yourself, this is how God sees you. Now, verses um, 5 and 6 are, are, are a continuation of that. It's just a continuation of this. Very, how does God see you? For one, He sees you alive. You may be feeling dead today. You may be feeling like a walking dead man or a walking dead woman. Emotionally, spiritually, Whatever. God sees you as alive. God sees you as alive. But then it says, He not only made you alive, He's raised you up together and has made you sit together with Him. You may wonder, hmm, I wonder if I'm really going to go to heaven someday. The way that I lived in 2015 causes me to doubt it. Well, that's not how God sees you. God sees you presently seated with Him in heaven. So the, the issue is not will you go to heaven someday. You're already in heaven. It sounds kind of goofy, but if someone asks you, you're going to heaven someday, you, biblically speaking, you can say, well, actually, no, I'm already there because that's how God sees me. And that's a comforting thing. How else does God see you? Let's continue reading. 
It says, he's done all these things, verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then it, it goes on and repeats, just in case, being the knuckleheads that we are, he's repeating to us. Remember, it's by grace that you have been saved. You were dead. You were incapable of seeing, hearing, or feeling spiritual things. But God, in His mercy, saved you. And, but then, not only that, He raised you up. So it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Meaning, there is no kind of good work, good thing that will ever get a man or woman entrance into heaven. There is no amount of good deeds. There's no kind of good life that a person will be able to argue at the judgment seat and say, based upon how I lived, how good I lived, I'm going to heaven. No, it says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Meaning, you are not going to heaven and then turning to the guy next to you and say, you know, I stink, but not as bad as you. Now, that ain't going to happen. Because dead corpses stink. All alike, they stink equally. No matter what they've done, they stink equally. And then it says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How does God see you? He sees you as really a masterpiece. This word workmanship in verse 10, because once raised with Christ, we are his workmanship. That's the word poema. I'll give you five guesses what that word means, literally. It's a Greek word, poema. Five guesses. What's your first guess? Poem. Poem. All right. You guys are great. You just need one guess. Poem. You are God's poem. An another, another translation could be masterpiece, meaning he has a plan, he has a work, he has a poem that he's writing out, actually it's already written out, and he saved you so that you can walk in it, walk in that poem that God made. Now, I love that picture in John chapter 1, where God, uh, where Jesus is calling Peter to be an apostle, and he meets him in John chapter 1, verse 24, and he says this. It says, when Jesus saw, it says, when Jesus saw Simon, he said, you are Simon, the son of John, your name will be Cephas. The name Cephas means Peter or a rock. Now, Peter, at this point, was a picture of instability in his life. 
He was the kind of guy who was reliably unreliable. <laughs> you could count on him to let you down. That's who he was. When, when, when God did CPR on Peter's life and, and raised him into a relationship with Jesus, that's who he was in the natural. Some of you, that's who you are today. You're reliably unreliable when it comes to walking with God. But verse 10 of Ephesians, and this is how God sees you, not how you see yourself. Many of you know you're unreliable. You know, you know what you're made of, and it ain't good. When you look in the mirror, it ain't good. But God says in verse 10 that you are God's workmanship. It's an uncompleted, it's a completed um, in terms of what God has done, but in terms of you walking in it, it's not. God sees you like you're going to become. Now, we read First and Second Peter. We read First and Second Peter, which were written probably 30 years after Peter was named Peter. And what did we find out when we read First and Second Peter? He was a what? A what? A rock. He had become exactly the man that God told him he was going to become. Now, you can choose unbelief. You can choose to go back in the world and believe the lie of the devil that surely that's not the case with me. That God has a new name for me, and he gave me a new name. He, gave me, he has a poem written out, and it's that beautiful. John chapter 1, verse 24. It's a, it's a, it's a picture of stability. And also, by the way, a picture of love. Peter went from arguing repeatedly during the three years of Jesus' ministry that he was better than the other men that he walked with to stating in First and Second Peter that he was the servant. He was the worst. He was the one that w was... Uh, more than anyone else needed to be serving the men around him. He went, he went from uh, a, a picture of instability to a rock to a picture of, of selfishness to love. Verse 10 says, we, you, are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works. So you're not saved into relationship with God by good works, but you are created for good works, which God, end of verse 10, prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Great way to start a new year. I know these dates probably don't mean a whole lot to God. January 1st. You know, April 1st could just as well be January 1st in God's economy. But um, I like New Year's. New Year's is a good time just to reflect and not make a commitment in the flesh, a resolution in the flesh that you know you're, you're only going to fail, but 
just understanding, wow, God has made a poem and it's already complete for me in 2016. I'm just going to walk in it. I'm going to do that. The good news, the gospel. The gospel starts with bad news. It ends with really, really good stuff. I'm going to call the worship team up now. And we're just going to close with a worship song and prayer. If you've been asked to pray, please come up. And have anything I said stirred you in your heart? While we close in this worship song, you can just come right up. I'm going to be up here. And let's pray about it together. This is a family. If there's any place uh, that we should be vulnerable, it should be with our church family. I think about those first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2. Dead in our trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of the world, fulfilling the lust of the flesh. What a tragedy it is for a man or woman, a Christian, to still be treading on that ground when they've been saved from it and pointed in the direction of a work, a poem that God has written for them, for them to walk in. Man, if any of that is you, come up, let's pray about it. Or anything else. Why don't you stand? I'll close in prayer, and we will close in worship and prayer. Father, we thank you for this picture. And God, I am so grateful that you came to me, Lord Jesus, and you pounded on my heart, brought me to life, opened my eyes up, my ears. allowed me to spiritually feel. Lord, thank you for, for pounding on all our chests. Father, I just pray if there's someone here this morning and they know they've never been raised from death to life by you. That before they leave today, they would say, they would declare to you, I'm the problem. Save me, Jesus. Lord, bring about that work. And Lord, just for all of us, that we'll walk according to the verses of your poem. According to the lines which you've already written about us that is so certain it's, it's written in the heavenlies where we're seated with you right now. Lord, if there's anyone here doubting where they're sitting, just pray that you would do the work in their hearts this morning, the gospel. Lord, it's, it's all free and it costs so little because it costs you so much. We thank you for the cross. Thank you for starting the gospel with the cross.